Hi there, Mike here. Just a little foreword before this episode. Uh, our second episode here we actually recorded straight after the first one, and we were still working out exactly how we were going to manage looking through the Zettel. So it's a little bit stilted, but bear with it, because I pinky promise you that the episode after involves a lot more arguing. Cheers. Hi everybody and welcome to this, the, the second episode of Fencing by the Book, uh, a podcast where we get a little bit more in depth about some historical fencing sources. I'm Michael Smoridge and joining me today are Johanna Hopfgardner, Michael Chidester, Steve Cheney and TQ. So in this our second episode we're going to delve into the, the source, the glosses in a little bit more detail. Um, so to start with, Two of the versions, the, the Danzig and the Ringek, both begin with a, a foreword, a, a pre-introduction. And this is where, in the previous episode, we were talking about uh, Ringek giving himself the, the title of Schirmeister. And that's where this comes in, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, so in Ringek's uh, prologue here... Um... Or, well, not strictly Ringek's prologue. This is a prologue written uh, in the third person about Ringek. Um, it says that Master Ringek, uh, known as the fencing master to Prince uh, Albrecht, Count of Bloody Blood, Duke of Bloody Blood, um, had these hidden words of Zettel glossed and interpreted in this book uh, so that a fencer who can otherwise fight uh, can, or can otherwise fence, can read through them and understand what is meant. Um, it's substantially similar to the prologue in Danzig, but the Danzig prologue doesn't talk about Ringek specifically. Okay, brilliant. And it tells us a little bit about the, the intended audience for the text. Um, anybody want to jump in? No? Okay, so it, it says something along the lines of, um, this has been composed and created by Johannes Lischner, one of the high masters in the art. May God be gracious to him, so that princes, lords, knights, and soldiers, servants, shall know and learn what pertains to the art. So I, I think it will be fair to say that the intended audience is, is male. They're either people with wealth and influence or they're associated with them. Uh, they're, they're religious. Man, peasants. <laughs> non-peasants but but then we get into arguments about what peasant mean don't we we do what, right. what one do note mean? there is that the uh the servants doesn't mean like servants who serve you food but there was a particular class of german knights who were sort of like slave knights who were there were noble knights and there were unfree knights who were still part like in the they were part of the military caste, but weren't didn't have nobility, so they were still the property of a noble. Um, and I think that's what they're referring to by saying knights and this other word that's translated as servants. So any so it ultimately means anybody who's part of the fighting class. Okay, and it's implicit in that excluding your your bourgeois and your your peasants, so. Furrier's Guild, this has got nothing to do with you. Or am I reading so the, Well, the, the interaction with uh, burgers and fighting classes is complicated. Um, 
and changing a lot throughout this time period uh, as cities become more independent, more powerful. So it's difficult to argue it's specifically excluding them. Although at the time, if this is an older piece of text, at the time it was originally composed, it might have been intended to skip these people. Um, by say the 1480s or 1490s, uh, senior or important members of towns were basically in the arms-bearing classes as well. Okay. So there's, there's also an interesting um, wrinkle there, which is where this could have been written not so much as a statement to knights, but a statement to non-knights who wanted to be part of that society, right? So the burghers who fancied themselves equal to knights, offering them this knightly art would have been fine as a sort of marketing or sales strategy. So we can't say for certain that it was that, that, that when it talks about knights, it's meant to address the nobility and not the sort of LARPer burger society. Okay. And the burgers the, loved pretending to be noble. It was a big part of their culture was imitating the nobility since they had money, but not title in many cases. Like you check this out. I got this secret teaching. It's, it says here it's for knights. So, you know, it's cool. Yeah. We're going to learn what the knights know. <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily believe that's the origin of it. It certainly is a very, very possible origin. Uh, and of the it's figures, important to keep in mind. Of the figures associated with this, not a whole lot of them are actually have noble names, do they? So fencing masters in general are not noble. Um, uh, and in fact, if anything, are normally treated as nuisances. Uh, see previous discussion in the last episode about people being thrown out of town. Um, yeah. in, in England, weren't they classified as a type of vagabond at one point? Uh, yes, and repeatedly thrown out of London. Um. So I've I've read that there that that's part of what drove the the distinction between Sherman and Fechten as activities and words was that the the Schermeisters in Germany were this lower class of traveling. They were like jugglers and acrobats in terms of how they were viewed as possibly useful or possibly entertaining, but not like trustworthy or honorable. And so introducing a new activity called Fechten was an attempt to sort of whitewash it all and, and or create a blank slate and say, yeah, those Schermeisters are garbage. These Fechtmeisters, they're totally different and much more respectable. Whether or not it worked, I don't know. But that's what I, I, I read a source recently that made that argument. <clears throat> uh, on the subject of which, there's another little line in this this preface that says that the the zettel, the poem, is cryptic, um, so that the epitome's art will little concern the reckless fencing masters, so that from those same masters his art shall not openly is not openly presented, nor shall it become common. So, is that section sort of Dissing the wider fencing community at large, or is it saying that this art should be secret and cryptic, and then sort of why are these sources explaining it? No, just me. It's just an interesting little bit that I spotted in there. Fencing masters dissing other fencing masters is a story as old as time itself. Um, there's definitely uh, miscellaneous bits of information here and there 
uh, talking about other masters not knowing so much or this master has traveled and learned and kind of put together a bunch of information that other people don't have access to. Um, and this is secret and powerful knowledge. Um, I, I think uh, 3227A elaborates uh, quite a bit more on the whole dissing of other masters that uh, the author thinks are, you know, not doing proper fencing because they're fencing. I mean, uh, Michael, maybe you'd, you'd, you'd know more about this. Um, he says, like, I think he uses the term Leichtmeister. Yes. Um, so, well, first I want to point out that when, that when it says fencing masters here in this translation, which I don't know which one you're reading, Mike, but it uh, what the German says is Schermeister. So it says, this is Lichtenauer's Kunstnisfechtens, and we're going to keep it away from the Schermeister. So it already is creating a distinction, possibly, between those two activities, that the masters of Schermen are not worthy of this art um, of fencing, of fechten. But so 3227A does give us a, an entertaining description, uh, casting serious shade on these Leichmeister. Um, let me let me pull up so I don't forget. He he lists um, like five things that he says characterize these false masters. Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, <clears throat> what the best rendering of of Leichmeister would be. Uh, it means false master. Some people make it dance master specifically, which is interesting. Um, but it says. All they do is jumble and confuse the plays and give them new names, each according to his own ideas. And they devise wide parries, and they often want to do two or three strokes in place of a single one. They do this to be praised by the ignorant for the sheer liveliness of it, as they stand fiendishly and perform elaborate parries and wide fencing around, having no measure. And they bring long and far-reaching strikes slowly and clumsily, and delay and overextend and expose themselves. So you kind of get the idea of fencing as entertainment and he sees these people as like buffoons who are out there to put on a good show and not to actually perform a serious art yeah, um, okay. so they're almost like you, professional yeah professional wrestlers is the comparison i use sometimes for this um and it gets to kind of the heart or part of the difference between when people talk about sport in a medieval context, which is often a lot bloodier and more dangerous than we think of sport as being. Okay. Sorry for that interruption. Uh, anything else to add, Michael? Uh, no, I think that's, I had one other thought, but it's now escaped me. <laughs> okay. um, but, uh, but I just wanted to, to point that out that, they're, they're really keen on making a distinction between the common fencer and the Lichtenauer fencer. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. If you take the, the description in 3227A in the most charitable way possible, and you think, how could someone do all these things and still be an effective fighter? Then it starts to line up with a lot of the non-Lichtenauer German sources. And this is where we get the idea of the, the sort of the common fencing tradition um, in sources like the um, Fechtwagel and Fechtbuchlein, and some of these 15th century non-Lichtenauer fencing treatises describe techniques that sort of almost fit into the paradigm that 3227A is casting shade on. 
So you could see how somebody who thinks they have the most special fencing system ever might look at that and insult it in exactly that way. Um, so it's not necessarily that these are bad fencers, although they might have been purely performers. But if they were good fencers, then they still weren't Lichtenauer fencers. So they get insulted for that reason. <clears throat> and, and that's where you get into the yeah, people who can already fence will understand Lichtenauer. People who can't will just think this is silly and garbage and move on with their daily fencing. Brilliant. Um, Shall we move on and actually begin with the with the Zethel, with the epiphany? Um, Johanna, would you like to read the first eight lines in the, the original German? Oh, yeah. So I'm now reading out loud the 1452 version of Pseudo-Peter von Danzig. <clears throat> das ist die Vorred. Jungritter Lehre, Gott liebhaben Frauen your Ehre, so wächst dein Ehre. Über Ritterschaft und Lehre Kunst, die dich zieret und in Kriegen zu Ehren hofieret. Ringen, Skurt, Fässer, Gläfen, Speer, Schwert und Messer, mannlich bederben und den anderen Händen verderben. Haut rein und hört da, rausch hin, triff oder lafan, dass in die Weißen hassen, die man sich preisen. Darauf dich fasse, alle Kunst haben Läng und Masse. Brilliant. So so good when she reads it. <laughs> Uh, and, and Steve, would would you like to try with the translation? This is this translation is from the book Peter van Danzig by Harry R. Young knight, learn onward, for God have love for ladies' honor. Till your honor is earned, practice chivalry and learn. Let the art grace you wholly, and in war bring you glory. Wrestle well, grappler, lance, speared, sword, and dagger. Wield them, be brazen, in others' hands raise them. Strike in and close fast, rush to meet or let it pass. Earn the envy of the wise, win boundless praise before your eyes. Therefore, here behold the way, every art is measured, weighed. Great, thank you it. very much for that. Um, we, we chose to go with, uh, with Harry's translation there. Even though, is it fair to say that's not the most the most literal of translations? Yeah. So it, I believe um, I believe the purpose of it is to not be the most literal. Go ahead, T. Yeah, I was going to say. So there's a couple of key points about Harry's translation. One, it rhymes, uh, which is something that the original Zadel does, but most literal translations uh, don't of poetry obviously don't rhyme. Um, and then secondly, the the objective he was going for when he translated wasn't to render every word as accurate as possible, but to render the sense of the entire section and the experience of reading it in a way that felt similar to the experience of reading the original for someone who was fluent in it. So it's designed to be readable and comprehensible in English as bad poetry, which is what it was when it was in German. <laughs> Would you agree with that as our resident German expert, Joey? <laughs> Uh, I okay. I actually like the, the the English version more than the German one. I think the English version <laughs> is quite beautiful. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you'll listen to this, Harry. <laughs> That's brilliant. And and, and just to to tease out, I'm, I'm not going to ask people specific questions. So every, everybody just jump on the chat. Um, what what does this this preface tell us? It, it's sort of saying that uh, somebody who knows this art should 
should be able to use a bunch of different uh, weapons. Is that fair? Yeah, these are actually the weapons you see them, uh, especially in the second half, which probably we won't ever talk about on this podcast, but in the armored and mounted combat, um, we have all of these weapons come in. Um, Glaifen, uh, which is translated glaive sometimes, um, is a word for a lance. Uh, spear is basically the same weapon, maybe a bit shorter, but used on foot primarily instead of horseback. Uh, sword obviously is the sword wielded in any way. And then messer or dagger is a, a knife or short sword um, uh, used in one hand alone. So these are weapons that you see referred to throughout the Zettel um, later. I've got a, a bit of an ignorant question here, but my understanding is that these sources from what we discussed last time are pretty much contemporary with like final stages of the Hundred Years' War and then the the Wars of the Roses, the Civil War going on in England. And in that, one of the major weapons that people would use was the pole hammer. Does the Lishenauer tradition ever talk about that? It's not discussed in the Zettel. Uh, so the the stuff we have attributed to Lichtenauer directly here covers two big categories of stuff. One of them is unarmored fencing on foot with the sword used in two hands. And the other is fighting in armor on horseback and foot with spear, sword, and dagger. Um, and it really only covers those two circumstances. Uh, there's some Polax material which is adjacent to it, especially Paulus Cal has Polax. Um, and he's clearly descended from and related to the Lichtenauer tradition. Uh, but it's not covered in as much detail, uh, really, as a weapon. Okay, okay, so there is adjacent stuff that covers that. That's cool. Right. So in, in the wider Lichtenauer tradition, you've got other dueling arts, like with the long shield and clubber sword. You've got polex. You've got um, much more developed... Well, so you have unarmored dagger and wrestling. I'm going to say more developed, but without armor, which you don't see in Lichtenauer. Um, and sword and buckler and messer fighting um, are sort of the core German arts outside of the specific Lichtenauer teachings. And Paulus <clears throat> Kahl, Hans Talhofer, Peter Faulkner, and others all covered those weapons in addition to the traditional core Lichtenauer set. No, no writer from the actual uh, gazette or listed as a member of the Gesellschaft Lichtenauer's um, writes about the Polax. So we have like Andre Lichtenauer, we have Mark. So we have um, uh, Peter von Danzig, the real guy. None of those guys um, talk about the Polacks ever. It's all it's all people outside um, who aren't listed as Gesellschaft Lichtenauer members. However, in the Rostock manuscript that was once owned by Joachim Meyer and was prepared in the mid-16th century, there's a brief reference to a play of the Polacks that was taught by someone named Pagnitzer. And Hans Pagnitzer is in the Gesellschaft Lichtenauer's, so that could have been the same guy. There's no way to know, unless you find Pagnitzer's last treatise. But it's a possibility that he might have. Um, most of the people it's worth mentioning in that list, um, like more than half, we don't have any writings from. So out of 16 masters, we have six or seven leftist treatises, and the rest are mysteries. Um, and one of them is Pagmitzer. So there's a good chance that people in the Gesellschaft probably use poleaxes from from time to time, but none of them ever wrote about it. Yeah, that we know of. Okay. Right, that we know of, of course, because there's probably tons of stuff out there that we'll never 
never know. And I live in hope that someday we'll find stuff from any of the other nine guys, but no lead so far. Okay. Um, one other thing I want to, to sort of zoom in on a little bit, that this preface talks a lot about um, how others would view the practitioner. So it sort of says that uh, so that you expand your praise and honor or so waxes your honor. It says that the art adorns you. It says that um, knowing this uh, hastens the man seen praised. I'm, I'm working off the the Corey Winslow translation of Danzig here, a different translation, but doesn't really matter. But does anybody want to expand on that a little bit? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, just I mean, I was going to let some other people talk first, but if nobody else wants to talk, um, so like, um, fencing, uh, especially fencing's a kind of a very manly, very knightly, very sort of being good at fighting is a is a virtue um, uh, in most of the Middle Ages, uh, to be honest. Um, but especially in a place like this, uh, where Germany is quite politically broken up, you have a lot of small political entities, very small scale warfare and stuff. So being able to fight, um, being able to comport yourself well with weapons and demonstrate that uh, through physical prowess, either in tournaments or in impromptu warfare or in taking hostages or in whatever, um, is a way to earn status, earn position, get jobs or employment. Um, we see this uh, quite a bit further west as well. Um, Jacques de la Lange is a very famous uh, French uh, Burgundian knight who, among other things, like at one point, pitched up a tent and basically challenged every passing knight to a duel uh, for 100 days and spent 100 days fighting whoever went past him. Um, and stuff like this. And he became massively famous for it. He was a bit of a rock star of the time. Um, so learning to learning to fight and learning to fight well and to show off in fighting um, was really a skill that could be very, very useful to someone uh, to kind of build their position and gain social status and social standing. Okay, so, so it's kind of like half of a, a performance but it's all bound up with identity and stuff as well. Is that fair? Yeah, and like it's a performance, but not a performance in the sense of, you know, I just stand up and wave the sword around and everyone thinks I'm great. You have to be winning stuff to be the guy who's cool here. Okay, so if if you talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk type thing. Yeah. Okay, um, and kind of implicit in this foreword is that it doesn't actually talk say that using the art will enable you to defend yourself, does it? I guess maybe it's implicit, but it says that you'll you'll ruin weapons in other people's hands, but not that using Lichtenhauer's art will allow you to chop people up. Well, remember, this is the intro to the entire Zettel, not just the um, the longsword. So, like, if you're in a judicial duel, then you might want to chop the other guy up. Like we do have later in the armored section, we have like the forbidden wrestles, which are like 
you know, the eye gouges and like arm breaks and stuff. So like the, the, the armored stuff really is like, you know, it's, it's, it is RDL. It's real deadly or real deadly armored fencing, I guess. Real deadly short sword. Exactly. Okay. Um, anybody else uh, got any points they'd like to bring up? No. Um, should, should we wrap up there then? Well, thank you very much for listening, and thank you to my panel, Johanna Hopfgardner, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening.